You are listening to the podcast When Life Gives You Lemons, presented by me, Emma Levy. Having worked with elite athletes for most of my career, it's always intrigued me that a significant number of high-performing individuals have encountered some form of adversity earlier in their lifetime. My fascination into this grew when I had my own brush with adversity, when I was diagnosed with breast cancer in May 2020, in the midst of the global pandemic at the age of only 36. During this period, I questioned whether it was my positive mindset or maybe something deeper, which enabled me to bounce back and to train and compete for a triathlon just one month following completion of all active cancer treatment. The goal of this podcast is to explore this concept further by meeting a variety of high-performing individuals who have experienced adversity, but who have come back stronger. Today, I'm welcoming Erin Kennedy, MBE, to the podcast. Erin is the coxswain with the GB rowing team, currently steering the mix four of the Paralympic rowing squad. Erin is the Paralympic gold champion, two-time world champion, three-time European champion, and World Cup winner. And she is actually the first cox to ever hold these four titles at any one time. What's even more remarkable about this list is that Erin achieved some of these victories with breast cancer. In May, 2022, Erin was diagnosed with triple negative breast cancer. Four days after her cancer diagnosis, she won a gold medal at the World Cup. And then a few months later, she coxed the crew to victory in the 2022 European Championships, which was part way through her chemotherapy. She continued to train and compete for the GB rowing team, despite her diagnosis and during her treatment. And throughout the process, Erin bravely shared her cancer journey online to raise awareness of breast cancer, the importance of early detection, and the importance of living life joyfully despite a diagnosis. Erin, so good to meet you today and thank you for chatting with us today. Thank you for having me, it's lovely to be here. Brilliant, so all of those achievements, being Paralympic, gold champion, two-time world champion, three-time European champion, World Cup winner, being the first Cox to ever hold these four titles at any one time. I imagine following Tokyo Paralympic Games, you were riding quite a high wave. You were only 29. How did it feel to get that cancer diagnosis and worry that all of that was potentially being taken away from you? Yeah, it was it was pretty rough, to be honest. You know, I think um, I've sort of reflected on it and really one of the kind of early things I sort of thought when I first got diagnosed was, okay, what about rowing? Like, what about my career? Um, and, you know, it was less about almost my own mortality, but just about like the what happens after this. Um, and yeah, it's something that, you know, I, I felt really fit and healthy. Um, I felt really well. Um, Tokyo was a weird experience as it was with anyone who went, you know, it was a real bizarre COVID game. Um, and I was just sort of enjoying the world opening up again and I felt really healthy and yeah, it just sort of came out of the blue. And so it was, it was really scary thinking, you know, do you know what this, this might actually be, might be it I might never compete internationally again and, and that was one of the motivations for actually going out and competing the weekend after I got diagnosed mm. so I tell was... us about your diagnosis because as you know a young girl I I don't know if you, how you came about being diagnosed yeah so I was actually on training camp um so I found a lump on training camp just while I was in the shower um I was checking fairly you know routinely um I have had a history of breast cancer in my family. Um, I now know that there's the BRCA gene in my family, but we didn't actually know that at the time. 
Um, and I just found a lump and it's one of those where, you know, when you find something, you can't then not notice it mm-hmm. with whatever you're doing, getting changed, showering, putting on moisturizer. It just feels like it grows, you know, when you first touch it and you're like, oh, is that something? It goes from like a kidney bean to like an orange. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, so I, I contacted through my team doctor. We had about 10 days between coming back from a training camp and going away to competition. So I needed a quick turnaround to go and get, get checked. So I had had some biopsies and they essentially said, oh, we, we need to schedule a follow-up appointment. And um, they wanted to schedule it the day I was due to fly to Serbia. So I said, oh, can we do this any earlier? And they were like, well, you know, we need to make sure the test results are back. Like, okay, right. So I chatted to my squad. I was like, can I fly out a day late? How do you feel about it? And they were like, yeah, yeah, no, that's fine. But what if it's bad news? Um, and I was like, uh, well, I think I'll still want to race because what else am I going to do? Just sit home and feel sorry for myself. And so weirdly, I think maybe did I start processing it before? Mm. Um, you or, know? Do, or do you think you were questioning whether... Or did you ever think it was going to be breast cancer? Not really, no. In all honesty, you know, like I'd had lump, one lump checked twice before and it had been nothing. And even when I went to see the oncologist, I had, he kind of did the original examination. Um, and then I'd had, had the um, ultrasound and biopsy. And the um, sonographer, uh, radiographer, I'm not sure which one it is, but they basically said, you know, they grade them from one to five. Um, and five is, this is, you know, definitely cancer and one is, this is definitely fine. And I think it was a two, which is, this is almost certainly fine, but let's just double check sort of thing. Mm. Um, and you know, thankfully I had gone and got it checked. Thankfully they did decide to biopsy it. Um, and one of the reasons they decided to biopsy it is a general rule. If you're under 30 and presenting a lump, it's worth doing anyway, sort of thing. Lucky. Um, so yeah, quite a few kind of circumstances and good fortune and being proactive essentially led to the diagnosis and yeah. thank goodness it did because with triple negative it's it's not a it's not a great no breast cancer is good but it's it's probably not your top one that you choose yeah you just want to catch it early as well don't you yeah a hundred percent yeah I mean I've, I've got a similar story about my diagnosis and that I was so mm. sure it wasn't cancer that when they booked me in for an ultrasound I cycled to the appointment which was like a 45 minute hilly cycle unaware that the appointment was going to involve a biopsy <laughs> so <laughs> when I turned up at the appointment with all my cycle gear they're like you cycled here are you gonna cycle home I was like yeah of course I am and they were like okay and I remember them kind of looking at each other and then after the biopsy they literally strapped me up and I was like okay, okay. <laughs> that, was, that was that was not an easy cycle home let me tell no, you <laughs> no with no. like three puncture wounds that that was not a highlight uh, but I think you know when you're young and you don't necessarily consider that it is going to be the bad news um and I'm personally I'm so fascinated by individuals grit and resilience and for me your story does truly epitomize resilience so I need to ask you how did you bring yourself to get on a plane and join your team and compete just four days after your diagnosis of breast cancer? Um, I think that there was definitely a bit of kind of, well, there was a huge amount of compartmentalization, which I think borders on denial. 
um, in the, so I literally, I came out of the appointment, my husband was with me, we told our parents respectively, and then I told my, my team doctor and my chief coach. Um, and then I was like, right, okay, let's be practical here. What do I need? And I was flying the next day. Um, and I was like, right, we need to get my parents over because we need to like, we need to kind of literally rip the band-aid off that one. Um, and I got my in-laws over as well. They don't live too far away. Um, and I text my teammates and I was like, right, this is what I know. And this is what I need from you because I was aware this was impacting more people than just me. And then I, I just literally just blocked everything out. Like I was just like, right, I might not race. I, I just need to enjoy this. And I went to the competition and actually not many people there actually knew there was maybe of the sort of 80, 90 members of the GB rowing team out there um 10 to 15 knew mm. which was great for me because it meant for them i just flew out a day late some people didn't even notice i flown out a day late in all honesty yeah. they're all focusing their own thing the only way actually it was really annoying so i flew out with uh not the normal team doctor there was like a second team doctor on my flight and the sports psychologist and i remember queuing at you know going to the va check-in and she was like four people in front of me. And I was like, oh, hell no, I am not queuing next to you because you are going to, I I didn't know if she knew. And if she did, she'd try and psychology me. And I was like, Mm-mm, no, <laughs> I'm not talking to you. So I literally like hang back and was like, like keeping my head down. We were in like GV kit as well. So I was like, couldn't literally hide. like she got away in front of me and I was like, I'm just going to take my time through departures. I'm not going to go anywhere near. <laughs> And thankfully, we, were on the, we weren't sat next to each other. But I was like, literally, noise-canceling headphones on. I'm not talking to anyone. Um, and then I just tried to really just focus on on the rowing and not spending a lot of time on my own. Um, I went to bed at about 2 or 3 a.m. during that whole competition, which is terrible for a sports person. Mm. But I wanted to be really knackered when I went and put my head on the pillow. I didn't want it to be like, do, 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 yeah. do. so I, I watched, um, not very relaxing, watched a lot of Luther, <laughs> okay. um, just very distracting, you know, and yeah. I just basically kept, and then the Formula One was on that weekend, so when we weren't at the course or racing, I was like, let's watch Formula One, and obviously yeah. at that point, everyone's like, keep Aaron happy, okay? <laughs> so you literally so, didn't talk to anyone for those few days, you, you said to your teammates, I don't want to talk about it, let's just push yeah. it aside, and let's just get on with the job. Yeah, pretty much. And obviously, like I was, I was, you know, checking in with my husband. Um, I actually felt awful about leaving him. I actually felt really bad. And his mm. brother came up from Cornwall to like hang out with him for the weekend, which yeah. was really nice. I don't think they had that fun at the weekend. Um, and he, bless him, did the kind of the worst job I think of when you get a diagnosis like this is telling people, um, mm. because oh, like it's it's so hard. And also, like we, whilst I definitely didn't expect a diagnosis, we we at least knew I'd gone for a checkup, you know, mm. there was a little bit of teeing yourself up. Whereas people that you just sort of let them know semi out of the blue, it's yeah. like, what? Um, yeah. And that's really tough. So I'd say that's probably the worst bit of kind of a, a cancer diagnosis is everyone talks about the meeting when you find out you have cancer. Uh, for me, I don't think that was the worst bit. I think the worst bit was waiting to have chemo and mm. not knowing what, that bit looked like how I would feel what it would feel like what all those sorts of things and having to tell people then 
yeah that that four or four or five weeks I think was for me the kind of the worst bit yeah it's the anticipation isn't it and you can't plan for something you don't know how you're going to feel and how you're going to be but then once you're in it and you kind of have control of it you can control control the controllables basically yeah, um, so you you won gold at that world cup you come home you've got your horrible weight you then started chemotherapy I believe and you continued training and yeah. then 2022 European Championships you were chosen for the team and you you went out during chemotherapy and you won a gold medal (laughs) so having been through chemo myself I know how challenging it can be to get out of bed (laughs) and walk around the (laughs) block Um, so how did you do that not just physically but emotionally as well how did you manage that one Um, I think it was having a goal having something to work towards so um, I was on EC at the time. I don't know if you had EC. Um, I luckily didn't, but I have heard of it. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Yeah. The Red Devil. Is that the Red Devil? Yeah. The yeah. Red Devil. Yeah. Doesn't help everyone tells you that's what it's called before. Um, <laughs> people, and love, people love to tell you the bad stuff, don't they? <laughs> they totally do. Oh man. It's, it, I think it's a bit like when people have babies. Yeah. 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 Um, people love, no one says, yeah, I had a pretty good birth and my child is, is good nine days out of ten everyone's like oh my god and people were like that with cancer it was yeah mm. not fun but um yeah I had um two rounds of chemo by the time I'd gone to the world cup mm-hmm. um and I think for me it was routine um I the thing I struggled with the most in lockdown and in all honesty I didn't actually have a bad lockdown I generally you know enjoyed probably having forced to slow down a bit once I knew the games were postponed not cancelled there was still something to aim for and all that sort of thing and my husband and I were been together 10 years before we got married but we never lived together and so we literally got married in December 2019 wow and so we were actually just kind of having a nice time living mm-hmm. together and all of this and and that sort of gave me maybe a dry run of what do I need what do I need in a crisis what do I need in this and and the pandemic sort of taught me like, I like routine. Mm-hmm. I like seeing people. Um, I get my energy from others. Um, they definitely sort of top me up. Um, and so I thought, you know what, if I just stop everything, I think that's going to be really bad for my mental health. And knowing that, you know, I don't, I don't need to be kind of pushing myself physically. Like I stopped lifting weights and mm-hmm. things like that because I was like, I'm gonna be asking my body to do a lot. Mm-hmm. I don't think, lifting heavy weights and asking muscles to repair is a good thing to do but I can still do cardio um I can still move um things like that and so I kind of mentally created these structures and these goals and and Europeans became a really big one for me um it was going to be dictated a lot of how did I respond on chemo really um and I wouldn't have pushed for euros if I was really poorly on chemo um I think the thing that chemo probably gave me the most was was brain fog which I found really hard particularly later on in my treatment yeah. um at, at Euros it wasn't too bad um but it was it was just sort of managing those side effects and things and giving myself something to aim for um I slept a lot I kind of cut out all the other things that you do in life um <laughs> and I kind of was like I knew that Euros would be my last international competition of the year so almost lots of other things could wait until the other side of it. I just was going to focus on getting there. And um, yeah, I'm so glad I did. And and it was, yeah, it was, it was, I always thought kind of 
Tokyo would be my biggest achievement, but I think I think that Europeans will, will probably always be the, the race yeah. for me. How did it feel as you crossed the line and won that race? Oh, so emotional. Um, it was really emotional because I knew it was the last for a while and or maybe ever um, just because the reality also was let's you know I, we were treating to cure um i i was stage two so um i was in a good place um that it hadn't as far as we knew spread to the lymph nodes and, and metastasized anywhere else mm-hmm. um but the reality was you know i still needed to get through my chemo and have a double mastectomy and with a shorter olympic cycle really i i needed to be back in a boat by spring 23 to be selectable for this summer and really next summer mm-hmm. um, because you know two years out of the boat in a three-year Olympic cycle doesn't really <laughs> doesn't really work yeah. and so yeah it was it was really really emotional and like my parents were there my husband was there some friends like it was like it was almost like the Tokyo that never was it was yeah. yeah it was it was a big it was a big big weekend and do you think the emotion within your teammates kind of helped to propel your boat to victory as well because I can imagine they were all feeling fairly fueled and fired up to go yeah I made a call like maybe 600 to go or something and I was like you know I hadn't really used it a lot but I was sort of like do it for me or something like oh, this. No. And Ed in my squad, a race is 2K. And he was like, I can't believe you got that one out of the bag. 600 metres to go. (laughs) He was like, we had so much race left. (laughs) Don't use that now. (laughs) Oh, wow. Um, Yeah, no, it was was good. And and then my teammates were amazing. And um, yeah, I, I kind of, so grateful for them because I think, that's where you know being part of a team sport's amazing um they they just kind of backed me yeah you know it was a pretty nuts suggestion but I was like yeah I think I can do it they're like (laughs) okay (laughs) yeah 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 because with the support without the support from them I imagine you wouldn't you wouldn't have been able to do it no no and if any of them had been reluctant same with my coaches and stuff then like you know I'd be thinking okay am I doing this for the right reasons you know am I Mm. actually am I doing this selfishly just because I want to do it, but actually is this right for the squad? Is this right for the team? And I needed to be a bit objective about it. And that's sort of where it got to with the World Championships because really, I really wanted to do them. I didn't want to step back. Um, but the World Champs, it wasn't just the World Champs, it was the training camps before and all of that. And I was moving on to weekly treatment and aside from anything else, just the logistics mm-hmm. wouldn't have worked. And it would have been too much pressure on the team, even though probably I was fit enough and well enough to do it it's too it was too much on the edge there was too much at stake and again I think that would be where it tipped from it being the right thing for the team to it being the right thing for me yeah. and um that was a very hard decision to step back yeah but then since getting the all clear am I right in saying you're now back on the team and you recently won the 2023 European Championships which is your third European title so you mm-hmm. kind of really I suppose told cancer to f off there <laughs> um how did that one feel as you finished just now um yeah I, I, it was emotional but in a really different way um I'm pretty level I'd say you know like I've probably cried during this whole experience like less than 10 times uh just because I'm a processor 
and I would also say that generally I don't cry but I nap <laughs> you know like if things are getting a bit much I'll be like I'm gonna have sleep <laughs> um you know some people will be like i just need to cry this out and get on with it i'm like i need to sleep this off and then get on with it you know mm. um and yeah and and euros you can literally if you're writing a book about this it would just people would go oh that's a bit far-fetched um because the start of the competition the first day of the competition was a year to the day i was diagnosed oh wow which is just like nuts yeah. and um and so yeah and i, I got selected and that was amazing and I was so excited. I was also rowing in Lake Bled in Slovenia, which is like a sort of bucket list rowing venue. Mm -hmm. We don't go very often. The last time they were there was about 12 years ago. So oh, wow. some people in the whole career will never race there. So it was just this beautiful venue. And it just, it felt really surreal in all honesty. Um, being around the boat park, being back in that environment, um, a real buzz and mm. it was really exciting and then to race and and we actually didn't have the best running um performance wise so it was a little bit like i think maybe i don't know weirdly maybe that was a good thing i was so distracted about actually doing my job mm. i wasn't really thinking about everything else yeah um and then we crossed the finish line and i just was i was mess first <laughs> <laughs> into tears frankie sits behind me like gave me a hug and then we come onto the pontoon and I just through all of the press I'm just crying <laughs> the whole time and it was just it was just really overwhelming because I think it was kind of like the stamp on the like I'm back like yeah. and yes I'm a lot more tired than I was before and I've got a lot more lines and a lot less <laughs> hair and you know a whole my whole body's changed and everything but like it really felt like okay like this is what we've been working towards. Yeah. So that was a whole year's worth of tears, basically, that you hadn't shared, yeah. <laughs> came out yeah. all at once. <laughs> yeah, um, absolutely. And you've shared your journey on social media. And I've seen that you've, you know, you've been on TV, radio, speaking very eloquently um, in your wake. And it's not easy to be so openly vulnerable in these difficult moments. And it's not an easy subject to talk about. Um, so how do you seemingly do it without getting too emotional? Because you do make it look very easy. No, thanks. Um, I think I decided to start talking about it on social media um, basically because, well, I firstly didn't really know anyone else of that age who'd gone through cancer. Um, and I really, really didn't think it would happen to me. And I thought, well, if I didn't think it would happen to me, I, I, I feel like that's probably, you know, the average feeling of the 29 year old, you know, that you don't ever think this will happen to you. Um, plus, you know, throw in that I was super fit and healthy um, and all of those sorts of things. And I also thought, do you know what, like, I am bricking it here because I don't know what's coming. And I've got people I know, friends and family, like my mother-in-law, aunties, people who have had cancer, had chemo, had mastectomies, had all these things. And I could not tell you more than what I probably know from TV about it. Um, and I thought, well, I'm going to sort of share my experiences as we go, maybe try and make it a little bit less scary for people and actually help people understand, but also most importantly, try and raise awareness that it can happen. And, and ultimately the only reason that I found my lump was through proactive checking mm. um weirdly you know i had a mammogram 
on the day I have I was diagnosed um and it doesn't show up didn't it was completely clear oh you had a um, mammogram yeah so you had a clear mammogram yeah. yeah uh because you know breast tissue is, is denser premenopausal yeah. and yeah and um, I had the same buds, I had a clear yeah. mammogram and clear ultrasound actually initially do you? wow yeah, so it's yeah. quite important that you know people know I suppose if they have a gut feeling that something isn't right they should just just go and check and and I think um particularly in the first month or two I was I was just you know I was I was kind of sharing because it helped me process and also really good way of keeping people up to date with what's going on without having to have the same conversation 25 times yeah um just be like just check out my Instagram and see what's going on and um and then the European champs I did an interview with BBC um and it went nuts like I I did like every major you know one BBC Channel 4 ITV Channel 5 Sky CNN it started going like global and it was was mental and I was just like I was having a really weird conversation they were like we'd love you to come on this morning I was like yeah I'm having chemo on Thursday like I (laughs) and they're like oh is there any chance I'm like no the reason you want to talk to me is because of this I need chemo like what and it was it was crazy and and it made me realize like how much cancer resonates with people um but also like we need I don't like to use like word role model but just like people when I had when I was originally diagnosed I looked around for people to get confidence from and Mm -hmm you know, like to give you that, okay, maybe it will be okay. Yeah. And I think there is quite a lot on social media, which is quite um, draining. Um, and it's not like I wanted to give out a false impression of what it was, but I also wanted to just give a real impression of what it was and an actual lived experience. And I, I sort of have kind of gravitated towards others who have had that positive mindset. Mm. Um, and I think the athlete mindset has definitely helped me as well, just yeah. to kind of reframe things. Yeah, but you know, you're doing, you've done, I think, a great job of sharing that lived experience. But have you found that challenging, sharing it publicly? Um, I think what I found weird is I, I don't think I'm that aware of how open I've been until then someone said something and I'm like, Oh, you know that. (laughs) Oh, I, I told you that. Yeah. Um, but, um, I think I, if I'm honest, I haven't found it too difficult. Um, because, um, one, I find it, I think it's really important and two, it's actually quite cathartic. And the number of people who've said to me, this is really interesting. I feel like I actually understand. And I get a lot of DMs and messages from people who are like, oh, my mum had breast cancer, but never really talked about it. Now I really feel I understand or um, that sort of thing. And like, it's amazing how many shared experiences there are. Like you and I, we had potentially different types of breast cancers, different experiences, different Mm -hmm. chemos, but we sort of get it. And, um, and I think that's really, that's really powerful. And, um, I think it's it's just been something that I think it's really, really important to talk about because it's just, it's real life, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. Um, and whilst, yeah, you know, like, I, I hope that, you know, a lot of these people listening to this are, will not be touched by cancer in their lifetime. Unfortunately, you know, one and two will. So if it's not if it's not you, you will know someone very close to you and maybe it can help you support them in some way and, and yeah. help you understand what they're going through. 
Yeah, well, they say it's the club no one wants to be part of, don't they? But once you're in that club, it's a very supportive club. Um, and in this, in series one of this podcast, I had Carly Musa on it. I don't know if you know yeah, her. She's another breast cancer advocate. Um, but she was always kind of three weeks ahead of, we went through breast cancer at the same time. And she was always kind of three weeks ahead of me. So I did the opposite to you and I came off social media because I found it quite challenging being on it and seeing, well, other people and other people's experiences. But I, and I told Carly in the episode, I would go and check where she was at before every, before everything I did, I would check Carly's page to see kind of her advice and how she managed it and if she gave any extra tips. So, you know, there's the supportive side yeah. of social media, which can be so helpful. Um, and like you said, just showing the honest side and the, the truth of it, because sometimes it can be, well, and TV programs and all that can be a bit portrayed a bit different, should we say, to, to the rea reality of how it actually is. Yeah, totally. I mean, like, I, I'd say I definitely get really annoyed. I don't, you know, watch tons of telly, but when I do, they need to write off a character. They're like, cancer. And you're like, there's more <laughs> ways that, you know, like, think more outside the box, guys. Like, I... I used to run it all the time and now I just notice it. But yeah, Carly's amazing and she's she's got BRCA as well and has yeah. done amazing things in the in the kind of BRCA community for people who, like my sister, for example, has BRCA gene and I hope will never be touched by cancer. But, you know, there's there's that whole other side of kind of, mm. of it as well. And again, like you say, there's that really positive side of social media or there's that side that can be a bit scary and I sort of, I definitely unfollowed quite a lot of, things in my first couple of weeks after yeah. panicking and following people and then I was like oh no I don't want to do yeah, that yeah not for me <laughs> oh, yeah because you seem like such a positive and an optimistic person even despite these challenging times you've been through H how do you think you've maintained that optimism and I mean can you share any tips with our listeners yeah um I think that basically really really early on my husband and I decided that we were never, ever going to say this isn't fair. Um, I think we were like, that's just never going to be a helpful rhetoric for us. Um, and it, it, it is what it is. Um, like, I personally am a Christian and, I, and I, I kind of had a really great conversation with someone from my church who said, instead of saying, why me? Like, woe is me? Just think, oh, why me? Like, mm. what can I what can I do about this? And, and, and that, that for me has been really helpful. But for those who are kind of going through this, who don't have a faith, um, it would be, for me, it's kind of, with kind of constantly kind of reframing, um, it will just make your life <laughs> better. Like, um, in, and I think this goes for when you're in a really dark place, if you, you have been diagnosed with something, it's also looking at, um, you know, in those other those, those times when you're like what is good like why is this happening what is going on and actually trying to kind of practice gratitude um even for the smallest of things um really really helped kind of build positivity and optimism um you know and like like really silly things actually probably annoyed me the most which was like can you lose all your hair that's really annoying but you lose your nose hair ah oh. That's so annoying. Having cancer in the winter sucks because your nose is just like boring. And so instead of just being like, this is outrageous, like I just laughed about it on social media. And I was like, right, does anyone have like any contacts at Kleenex? Like we need to start like getting like 
tissues to cancer services and all this sort of thing. Mm. And like, and then, and you know, and you just end up loads of people DMing me being like, I know, it's so annoying. <laughs> and like, and almost then you end up with this shared, like, you know, almost amusing pity party for ourselves about our runny noses rather than, you know, some of the bigger, more heavy things. Like, you, just, you can't control them. Mm. Um, and also, you know, even if it is really, really rubbish, it's having that gratitude for the people around you because, um, you know, it takes a village, really. Like, and I think for the people who are going through cancer, it's really rough. It's so much so for the partners and if they have children and, and the parents and things like that. And, um, you know, and, and I'm terrible at accepting help. And I yeah. had to really try hard to accept help. For me but also for them because people want to help you um and trying to kind of yeah kind of bring people into your circle and surround yourself with really good people yeah i don't know if you've read the books by edith egar the holocaust survivor so she she writes you know don't say why me but say what now and i read that during my recovery and that really hit home for me you know not why is it's kind of just stepping away from the victim mindset isn't it so not why me, but what now? And I think that's just super, super helpful. Yeah. Um, Erin, tell me, what does sport mean to you? Um, sport means so much to me um, because I think it's about the people. Um, I think that Tokyo was a very revealing experience because it made you really think about why are you doing this? You know, you're not doing it for the crowds you're not doing it for the you know glory or whatever perception of you know standing on the top of the podium and everyone cheering and singing the national anthem there was no one singing the national anthem you know it was just us trying to desperately hit the right key <laughs> um and actually it was all about the people and 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 the team and what we were doing for each other and you know what we put our bodies through to to kind of make a boat go from A to B as fast as possible, which in the grand scheme of like someone running alongside the boat, not that fast, you know? And it's and it's it's something that just is amazing and I think can really bring people together. And I think that's why I love sport because uh, we had Henley Wawagata quite recently and I look um, you know, down the riverbank and it's chock block full of people who are competing at every level from school to masters um and everything in between and we're all kind of unified by the love of this sport and i just love seeing people love sport and enjoy watching it and i think i think it's for me it's such um such a wonderful way to kind of have community with people whether you're doing that on a thursday night netball or you know at a professional level um it should always be fun and it should always be about the people because i think they're the kind of things that really keep me loving yeah so do you think your recent experience with cancer has made you a better athlete yeah definitely i think i don't sweat the small stuff anymore mm -hmm. um and i think i have a lot of respect for my body um really interesting sort of relationship with my body i think i hadn't really thought about it like i, I knew how important it was but you know when your health all of a sudden is sort of taken away from you and or at risk mm. makes you really appreciate like it's pretty amazing and even going through chemo I was literally looking at the nurses double gloving to like touch this liquid which is going to be put straight into my veins <laughs> and you're like what um you know they're like oh gosh don't let it touch me and they're like 
here you are. And the fact that like my body can take that and process that and um, put up a fight and it, it really was, yeah, it was pretty amazing. And so I think it's really made me kind of respect my body and what, what it can do and, and how lucky I am to kind of get to do this as a job. Yeah, so has that led you to kind of do anything tangibly different in life in terms of respecting your body more? Have you changed any practices or anything? Um, I'm trying to, um, I, I was always kind of like really aware of what I was eating, but I think it's really, I mean, chemo forces you, even if you don't want to, to really think about gut health. <laughs> um, chemo is like taking the world's worst antibiotics, but washing it down with bleach, essentially. Like it was not fun on my stomach. And um, that's something that I've actually tried to be really proactive of, is kind of like trying to eat a more diverse range of things in a week, um, making sure I'm actually, everyone talks about your five a day, but who actually is eating five a day? Um, I'm trying to, um, and trying to kind of look after definitely like my, my, yeah, my digestive health actually, because I mean, aside from actually practically needing to, um, I found it just makes me feel a lot better. Yeah. Um, and also I, I was always, I was always to be fair, very good with looking after my skin, but again it's made me really appreciate that because chemo made me really photosensitive um so you know especially i'm in outdoor sport really really proactive on sun cream and i'm also like sun cream police with all my teammates now as well i'm the same i will only go outside with factor 50 on now which is you know i used to be the one like lathering myself up in oil (laughs) yeah yeah yeah, and now I'm like, no, and then, you know, little 19-year-olds in my team, I'm like, turn around, I'll do your back. <laughs> yeah. And you talked about practicing gratitude, but are there any any other specific strategies which you've used, which you think have helped drive you forward? Um, I write a lot of things down. Um, I think it started originally when I was doing kind of the social media stuff because I was needing to articulate myself in a certain number of characters, essentially on Instagram. Um, but I have started writing things down. Like I always kept a training diary, um, but it was quite practical. It was sort of, this is the training I did today. This is what I was working on. Uh, whereas I'm now sort of trying to kind of goal set a little bit more. Um, and that's sort of playing into that gratitude as well. So thinking about, okay, you know, what am I grateful for? How is it going? And, and I used to with all my training days, I'd mark it out of 10. So sort of how good was that day? Like in terms of towards my long-term goal. Um, But now I've started thinking a little bit more about, okay, how good would this day about the long-term goal? But like, was it a good day? Did I enjoy it? Like, did I do things that I really enjoyed? And you can do that in your everyday. Like if you've got a pants day, um, you know, and you've got loads of admin and loads of laundry and whatever. Like, are you going to take 20 minutes just to go for a walk outside without your phone? Yeah. And just walk around the block and those sorts of things. And when I was recovering from a mastectomy, my biggest fear, because I am the most busy person, was that I would do too much and compromise my ability to come back to the sport. So I allowed myself to do one thing a day. And I was like, I got to do one fun thing and that was someone comes to visit or I you know go for a coffee or walk around the block or whatever it was but like almost it was almost limiting myself to not overdo it and trying to say no yeah um which sounds like a weird thing to do but actually sometimes you need to say no and I'm terrible at 
saying no. Yeah. Um, it's giving so, yeah, yourself permission, isn't it? Sometimes you need to give yourself permission to say no because if you're not good at that, which I'm the same, you know, and I, and I was the same. I learned that as well. Re- really important when to say no because otherwise you you just you burn out. Totally. And and I found um, so many people, perhaps because obviously I was quite public about it, you know, who reached out to me and said, "Oh, let's get a coffee. I hope you're doing okay." And and people want to kind of um, you know, give you their time and everything. But when you are like mentally exhausted, especially when I was in weekly treatment, I, I sort of had 48 hours a week that I was like on good form. Mm. And I felt like at least one of them should go to Sam, my husband. So <laughs> I was down to like one day and you had to be really picky with your time. And, and actually I think being really honest with people is is totally fine. And I've tried to kind of take that into you know, now we're in a really busy period of growing and, you know, some friends I haven't seen in a while were lovely and they were like, I'd love to catch you over for dinner. And my immediate thing was like, yeah. And then I was like, do you know what? Literally got three weeks until I disappear for two months. My weekends are packed. And then you just go back and you just go like, I'm so sorry. I would, I would love to see you. Genuinely, I know this sounds ridiculous, but how does October look? <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, um, okay, okay, yeah. You know, you're being honest and you're not burning out and I think I think that's a really good skill to have yeah no I agree and also the thing you said about enjoying the moment rather than just looking at the final goal that keeps coming up in these podcast chats time and time again how people have learned the importance of that so I I love Mm. that point as well and I'd love people to kind of hear that you know just to make sure that we are enjoying the present enjoying the process and it's not always about the final goal totally And, and I think you know that that my diagnosis really, really kind of highlighted that for me as well is, is that, you know, if you put yourself in a position where something like this comes up, you are facing a moment of adversity. And, and if you go, oh, I would change this and I would change this and I wouldn't do this anymore, I wouldn't do this anymore. Why are you doing it now? You know, mm-hmm. if that doesn't bring you joy or, you know, and help you and it drains you and, and all that sort of thing, then like, you know, think about, what what does give me joy what what do I enjoy and try and you know fill your time with a little bit more of that because you really don't know what's around the corner yeah 100% um Erin do you see yourself as a resilient person yeah I'd say so I I think I always thought I was I think my most resilient weekend of my life was in Serbia that weekend (laughs) and I remember pushing off I literally had landed that was the World Cup, yeah, day. just after your diagnosis. Yeah, the World Cup, yeah. yeah, like the four days. Well, I flew out the day after my diagnosis mm-hmm. and I rode that afternoon. So I flew mid-morning, got there, rode at about four o'clock. And I remember pushing off and I was like, I'm 99% sure that I can do this. I can hold this together. I can do a good job. And then I remember rowing up being like, oh, I hope I'm right. <laughs> I'm thinking, I've really, oh, I've really got to put my money where my mouth is now. And thankfully, you know, it did all go well. I didn't mess up. I did my job. But I think that's when I sort of confirmed that, like, yeah, okay, I think I am pretty solid. (laughs) Do you think you're good at sports due to your innate resilience? Or do you think sport has made you more resilient? Or do you think this cancer diagnosis has made you more resilient? Mm, That's a really good question. Um, I think I was pretty resilient before sport. Um, I think, um, but I think, I think resilience comes hand in hand with, um, there's a bit of self-confidence, um, and also a bit of sort of 
determination and and um and a kind of yeah like a bit of a power behind resilience I think mm-hmm. I think you you need to have an understanding of sort of what you're doing and why you're doing it I think you need to be quite self-aware and I think sport has helped me become far more self-aware than than I ever was before because I think you you work with a psychologist obviously and you kind of dig into some of these things but I think it's understanding what your why is and um you know what your weaknesses are your kind of overplayed strengths what your strengths are and and I think being part of a team also kind of helps because on a day when you're feeling four out of ten you've got someone who's an eight out of ten who kind of gives you a bit of energy of theirs and Mm. um yeah I I think sports definitely trained my resilience and helped me to kind of maybe tap into it more proactively um through different strategies and and just through kind of yeah having goals yeah amazing and final question Erin if you could go back in time to when things were at their toughest what do you wish you could have told yourself as you were going through that tough time um I think I would just say like everything's gonna be okay like try and just relax and trust the people around you um and I think I learned I'm gonna say probably probably like two or three chemos in to kind of finally just relax and trust everyone trust the professionals and it's not that I didn't but you know I'd come from an environment where it's all about as you say controlling the controllables pushing and you know, doing your best and being on the front foot all the time. And actually I went from being like a kind of leader within my group and, um, you know, kind of at the top of my game to all of a sudden being incredibly vulnerable, um, which can cause you to be quite defensive and like, okay, well, should I do this? I don't know. And, and everything. And I kind of just wish that I, I could have just relaxed a bit more and being like, you are so well looked after. The people around you are are for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, they're doing everything they can to, to make you better. And I think I think that probably would have been, would have probably made the start of chemo and that waiting period and everything just that, that little bit better. Yeah. Well, you know, you've done brilliantly. Where can people find you, Erin, if they want to know more? Um, yeah. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm really, pro- I'm really active on Instagram um erin mwj my maiden name <laughs> uh, and i'm really active on instagram i am still sharing loads of of um what i've kind of both been through and kind of what's coming up so it's probably a lovely kind of cross-section of sport growing and cancer and trying to kind of help people understand that actually a little bit like you know when you have a baby you're in the fourth trimester a little bit like I think when you have cancer just because I got the all clear doesn't mean that I'm back to normal Mm -hmm. (laughs) um we're still kind of navigating a lot of a lot of different things and so I'm trying to kind of keep bringing awareness um keep kind of uh encouraging people to live live life joyfully and kind of sharing my experiences as I work towards Paris next year yeah, amazing. Thank you, Erin, for coming to chat to us. I actually saw a reel you posted on Instagram, which, you know, brought a tear to my to my eye. I'm not going to lie, where you wrote <laughs> and you've just said it. You wrote life is a privilege. Take it with both hands. Make it wonderful. And it appears that you are absolutely doing that. So please do keep doing that. And I personally look forward to watching your onward journey to Paris 2024. So thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs>